Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive. My guest today is Dennis Mortensen. He's the founder of X.AI, an artificial intelligence personal assistant. And it's amazing. Enjoy the conversation. Good morning, Dennis. And tell me a little bit about yourself and X.AI. Sure. I will try not to turn this into a half-day seminar, but the short version <laughs> is something for where you've seen me and my 100 propeller head friends work the last three years on trying to make this intelligent agent called Amy or Andrew at X.AI that can schedule meetings. So you should think of this as really having somebody sit in your front office who can help manage your calendar. So that when you email me and say, hey, Dennis, I'm coming to Manhattan in July. Do you got time to meet up for a cup of coffee? I can reply back and say, you know what, David? Sure, I'm up for that. I've seen in Amy at AI, and she can help put something on my calendar while you're here. Then Amy will remove me from the conversation and reach out to you and have these very human-like negotiations, really, to make sure that you end up on 200 Broadway some Tuesday at 11 a.m. in meeting room 9F. And it's not that you haven't heard about this before because you can get it today if you want. Just go hire Tom and pay him $60,000 and he'll do it for you. But what we've tried to do here is create this machine setting or AI, if you will, where you can get it for 30 bucks. That's us and what we do. I'm the CEO and founder, but that's less important. Amy and Andrew are absolutely brilliant and probably, uh, from my point of view, one of the most amazing productivity tools I've ever come across. Where, it's the idea is so simple, yet I'm sure it was not simple to create. Where, where did it all stem from? Here's a funny story, or sad, really, if you think about it. So we stole our last venture. We did predictive analytics before this. And... Having sold the company, you end up with a little bit of extra time on your hands. And I did this sad thing of going back into my calendar to see how many meetings I did the year prior. And I did 1,019 meetings in the year 2012. What was even more catastrophic, really, was that I had 672 reschedules. <laughs> they happened, oh. right? <laughs> yeah. And I did all of them myself, as in not a single one of those were negotiated by somebody on the team, me alone at 11 p.m. in my underwear at home every night trying to set up these meetings. And it's not that I'm exceptional. I think anybody in any setting will do a large amount of meetings, some certainly more than others. And I think that if I were to kind of give you any catalyst, were that moment for where I just couldn't imagine having done this for the first 20 years of my work life, that I would do the same for the next 20 years. That sounds really sad. And <laughs> as I kind of thought about it, it's like there was no thing on the horizon for where, oh, for sure, then it's soon something will arrive. That soon just didn't seem to exist, right? As in, both you and me can imagine that self-driving cars, given all the activity, they'll arrive. We can talk about when. You might think five years, somebody might think 10 years, but they will arrive. This 
there wasn't really anything. And I think that was the moment where we said, you know what, let's bring the band back together and see if we cannot solve this. Now, developing uh, Amy and Andrew, uh, I imagine it's extensive. One thing that's very impressive, and I see over and over in some of the feedback and, and um, different reports on, on X.AI, is the natural language. Like, it feels very, um, very real talking to Amy or scheduling a meeting with Amy. What, what do you have to go through to get that working properly? There's really three components to what we do, and probably three components to most intelligent agents, if you will. And the first one is the natural language understanding challenge, as in you say something. For example, for this particular meeting, you email Amy and say, hey, I'll be running 10 minutes late, I'm so sorry. We need to understand that in full, and that's a major obstacle for most agents, being able Mm -hmm. to fully understand what it is you're trying to convey. Because you and me, being humans, are very ambiguous. Now, let's say that you solve that and you fully understand exactly what was suggested, then you need some sort of reasoning engine for where, just because I understand, do I have the capability to take action on that? As in, you're running late, but what does that mean? Do I do nothing? Do I do something? If I do something, what is that? And that reasoning engine is the second part. And the third part, which I think a lot of people might end up underinvesting in, is the natural language generation part. As in, I now not only understood what you said, I took the right action, but how do I then communicate with all the constituents, the host, the guest, the assistants, and so on and so forth? And you need to do that in a way for where it doesn't seem disconnected to the discussion that we've just had. And those are the three components, and we've invested almost equally in each one of them. And it's certainly very easy to imagine, but it's one of those things where the easier you want to make it for the customer, the harder it typically becomes on the technical end and on the engineering and data science team. But those are the components and those are the challenges, if that's the Makes sense without going all geek on you. Yeah, no, no, it makes complete sense. And as a writer, I really under uh, or I really appreciate the the natural language uh, part of it. And I can I can't imagine all the iterations or how that how that's get put together. Can you tell me what kind of things will Amy and Andrew learn about my habits or what I how I want to operate? Yes, or do they learn? They do learn. And it's one of those things for where there's very strong data network effects, as in they become smarter for every single meeting they schedule, as in you and me kind of hit as humans some sort of plateau, right? I spent 20 years of my career trying to set up meetings, but I think I can probably not get any better at it. This is it. I know how to set up meetings. But Amy and Andrew, for every single meeting, and they'll do tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of meetings, will come smarter and smarter. Again, if we use the self-driving car analogy, those self-driving cars will be extremely good on day one, but way better on day 1000. And we are very much in the same setting. But what we spend most of our time on is actually on items that you don't see. And it's really kind of almost a new software paradigm, right? For where 
if you go install Adobe Photoshop, that application is visible. It will start it on your desktop. You can see all the features. You can work with each one of them and see how they work. Most of what we have is invisible. I think there is no app. There is no website. There's only really Amy in dialogue. And you have a set of expectations for what she can and cannot do. And you have the assumption that when I told her this, she's probably going to execute it in that way. So most of what we do, you don't even see. I'll give you a couple of examples here uh, for where she learns that. And common sense, one would hope, is something that you and I have or have developed over time. Machines, not so much. And that means if you're in Manhattan for one day and you and me want to meet up, and I've told Amy I do meetings between 9 and 5.30, and somehow we can't fit it in, but you could pop by the office at 6. Given you're only here for one day, hey, sure, no biggie. We'll meet at 6. It's not like that 5.30 is set in stone. So I would usually myself apply a little bit of common sense, right? I said, we should do that. Having the machine do that, I said, allow for some elasticity in its decision-making have been very hard on two ends, both when are we allowed to apply a little bit of common sense, and when we do, how is it perceived? And here I'll give you a funny anecdote. When humans apply common sense, you immediately assume that they did so, as in you ask your assistant, Tom, who's a human, to set something up next Wednesday with me when I'm up north, and somehow we meet up Thursday morning, you're thinking, oh, okay, Tom and Dennis must have chatted about something and it didn't work out, so he's popping by the next morning and said, oh, good. When we do that from a machine point of view, what we've seen is that people immediately assume there's a technical error. Not that the machine now has this idea of common sense for where we've had data scientists spend years trying to implement that, it made a mistake. So we've had to kind of communicate around that on the natural language generation side saying, hey, I know you asked for Wednesday, but it was unfortunately not possible given your schedule and your friends. So we're going to do it first thing the morning after. So those are some of the things that you kind of expect her to learn, but they become complex on two ends, both the implementation, but also the communication part. Sorry for rambling on. I'm obviously just uh, kind of excited about our agency. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's fantastic, and I, I appreciate um, <laughs> gaining some understanding. Is that then the difference between like a chatbot and AI? So I think that's a really good question, by the way. I think the distinction people should make, at least initially, is the distinction between the conversational UI and the intelligent agent. And for me, the conversational UI is just a UI paradigm, it's a major one. And you and me are certainly, sadly perhaps, old enough to remember multiple UI paradigms. As in, I took my CS degree on the command line, and for many <laughs> years, that was the UI paradigm, right? As in, yeah. you either get the syntax or you don't, which excluded most people from touching computers. Then you had Windows and similar arrive, and we had the graphical user interface, and that's where kind of went mainstream to a large degree. And then later, perhaps we can talk about the app or the mobile phone UI being a distinct UI in its own right. And that's where it kind of went 
mass market. I said, even my mom gets it. But I do think there is now a new UI paradigm, which is this conversational UI for where all the burden is put on the application. So the command line is not the same. All the burden is on you, knowing the syntax. Now the burden is on the application, understanding what did you just ask me to do here? That, I think, can exist without any AI. As in many places, I think the app just doesn't make any sense. And I'll give you a good example here. So I go to San Francisco next week. I stay at the hotel. I arrive at 10 p.m. I'm at the hotel at 11, and I want a Diet Coke. And I can tell you my first thought when I'm at that hotel is not, you know what? Let me go to the app store. Let me find the Hilton app. Let me download and install the Hilton app. Let me set up an account. Let me log in. Let me find the store. Let me add Diacoke to basket. Let me check out. I think just doesn't make any sense. I think I would have died first before I get that Diacoke. What I would like is some conversational UI where I can just text the downstairs lobby and say, hey guys, can you bring up a Diacoke please? And that doesn't need any AI. It's just a transfer to a new UI paradigm. Now, when you're in that UI paradigm, the man or the entity who receives that message, that can be one of two things, a human or a machine. And that's where I think AI is well positioned, as in intelligent agents that can understand what was I asked to do here? And do I have the capability to solve that job? Where I might make a distinction on bots and agents is that bots I might see as kind of question-answer machines or request immediate action machines, where agents, I think, are more entities that can work on objectives. Set up a meeting on first week of July. There's multiple positive outcomes, so they need to kind of go research and work with multiple people to figure out exactly when that should be, and that can take days. But they work on a job where bots, you click return, they give you a feedback, and that is something else. You say something, that's another feedback. So those are the distinctions I like to make. It's it's so uh, it's it's so wonderful to be I guess in a place now where we're starting to see this sort of interaction happening and and this understanding and um, like you have chosen to do to just stick to one platform which I guess is the natural platform for uh, email so we're not forced into I guess uh, whatever uh, UI or application that we you know the developer decided we wanted we needed to use is that been a difficult decision to hold on to and to maintain to uh, I assume it's still the case that um, Amy and Andrew are only email only available through email that is certainly correct today but it's not that we are in love with email so we looked at meeting scheduling as a pain and you can go you do your own research, right? Go to the street right now, ask the first 20 knowledge workers, do you set up meetings? And they'll all say, yes. Do you like setting them up? And they'll all say, no, I fucking hate it. I said, everybody will have this pain. But what you'll see is that almost all of the meetings originate in your inbox. So we simply picked email because that's where they arrive. And we wouldn't want any kind of context switching. You should just look at that email and say, yeah, I'll talk to Dennis. If he's in the 